Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi there, and welcome to the Stock Club Podcast. I'm James, and with me this week is my Wall Street co-founder and chief investor, Emmett Savage, and our head analyst, Rory Karen. Today, we're talking about what NFTs are and how Square might be getting into the game, Roblox's recent public listing and why we like the company as a potential investment, and Emmett and Rory both pitched me their wildcard stocks ahead of next week's free online workshop. So guys, earlier this week, we learned that Elon Musk has given himself a new title at Tesla, the Techno King. Emmett, Rory, what new job titles would you pick or would you give yourselves at my Wall Street if you could? Rory, I'll go to you first. <laughs> I think uh, at one point I was called Stock Bard because <laughs> like, that was my original, I think, because uh, we have all these avatars yeah. from that are created by someone on Fiverr and originally they all had like a name on top of them. Mine was Stock Bard because I studied drama and there was in stocks. So. <laughs> and, and natural progression. I, mean, I suppose you're the CEO of my Wall Street, so you can kind of give yourself whatever name you want. <laughs> um, I'll stick with the one my mother gave me. No, I, I, and my avatar name was Stock Papa. So I don't know how we kind of make uh, Stock Papa. So I don't know how we kind of make that into a chief title. Chief Stock Papa it just doesn't sound right. Yeah, I don't think I'm comfortable in calling you Stock Papa. To be honest, Emmett, no offense. No, believe me, I'd be even more uncomfortable than you. <laughs> So, of course, it's also St. Patrick's Day this week, and we're recording this on Tuesday, the 16th of March, the day before Paddy's Day, obviously. But there's not much really going on in Ireland, considering that we're all still in lockdown here. Um, and what's the biggest thing you'd miss from the, from Patrick's Day, though, this year? Well, I was reading that the Irish are waiting for the bars to open again so that they can drink less. So um, <laughs> I think that <laughs> when the pubs reopen, it'd be nice just to kind of get back to that social uh, element. But anyway, what am I doing tomorrow? I, I don't know. Nothing. Yeah. Into the living room, TV room. Rory, are you waiting for the bars so you can drink less? It would be nice to have a monetary incentive not to drink, unlike the one we do at the moment. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the sun's out. That's great. Yeah, it is. Momentarily. I'm not going to miss anything else about St. Patrick's Day, by the way. I think most Irish people or anyway, people who live in Dublin certainly abhor the day itself. Yeah. (laughs) But it is actually the first kind of uh, annual celebration that we'll have missed two of so like last year's Paddy's Day celebration was cancelled and this is the first time we've seen a doubler yeah I I don't think I'll miss it either that parade is is a it's one of those like it's like an angel ashes when you, he remembers his miserable childhood I just remember rain and they should bring back Arthur's Day to compensate for <laughs> Paddy's that, Day part two keep that for your uh, Diageo pitch whenever it's you great make when one. a country um, like rebrands the drinking problem as culture <laughs> Okay, let's move swiftly on. Um, So after a year of talking about IPOs, SPACs, WAPs, the latest acronym that everyone is tweeting about is NFTs. NFTs or non-fungible tokens are a -a one-of-a-kind digital asset that can be bought or sold like any other piece of property. Using the blockchain, things like original artwork or pieces of music can be tokenized to create a digital certificate of ownership. These can then be bought and sold for seemingly ridiculous amounts of money from what I've read. We've seen a couple of very high-profile NFTs pop up recently 
recently, including Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey auctioning off the very first tweet he ever sent for as much as two and a half million dollars, or the Kings of Leon releasing their brand new album as an NFT. Rory, I'm going to come to you first about this, and I suppose the big question here is, did you know that the Kings of Leon are still making music? I was just thinking it's like we have to do something to get people interested in that music again. <laughs> if, if the blockchain can't bring Kings of Leon back, nothing can. There was some crazy rumour that he smashed his guitar, his like, lucky guitar, after the second album and hasn't been able to write a good song since. I don't know if that's true or not. But. Sounds like an excuse to me. So anyway. <laughs> but speaking of music, Elon Musk uploaded a techno track about non-fungible tokens uh, to his Twitter account and said that he's selling it. Yeah. So um, if it's good enough for Kings of Leon, it's good enough for Elon Musk. Yeah, and he'll probably be able to fund Tesla for another year with the money he'll make from it. Um, Rory, <laughs> what are your thoughts on NFTs? I know you've been kind of doing a bit of research on them recently. Yeah, it's uh, definitely still early on to, into the research. Um, but as you said, it's non-fungible tokens. First of all, it reminded me of that great scene in Succession, uh, season two, where Logan and Rhea talk about her being fungible. Yeah. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's a brilliant scene. It's the, first time, it's the first time in a long time I've seen the word fungible inserted into a TV show. Yeah, it's definitely um, going to be the word of 2021, fungible. <laughs> But yeah, the idea that it's a digital token exists on the blockchain, kind of similar to Bitcoin, it can't be replicated or copied, it's in a public ledger, so everyone knows who owns that token, in fact everyone knows who owns that token previously and forevermore, so um, yeah, what we're seeing now is the use of these tokens to authenticate ownership of digital assets, and that's largely been concentrated around digital artwork with um an artist called Beeple, uh, who sold a work through Christie's Auction House last week for $69 million. Um, and like I said, this is a work of digital, this is a digital work of art. It doesn't exist in the physical world, say like the Mona Lisa. Um, and that's kind of important because in the digital world, everything is replicable. You know, you take yeah. a screenshot of something or copy something or some text, you've just created another version of it. And NFTs don't prevent someone from copying something, but they do assign the ownership of that asset to someone. Um, it brings up like so many questions. The first is not a new question, something people have been discussing for centuries, is what's the value of the original? Um, you know, if, for example, someone was able to replicate a Monet so accurately that even the top authenticators in the world couldn't tell the difference, which is more valuable? Which, why, is, why is the authenticity worth more than the exact same image yeah. uh, with the exact same bus strokes that no one could tell the difference of? And on the internet, there's no need for any sort of skill. Like I said, you can replicate get anything so the company that now owns Beeple's painting it's a company called Metapurse they own the rights to that artwork or they own a token that tells them that they own this artwork but anyone can go and look at it online for free it's so ubiquitous particularly after all the hype around the sale you know there's no there's no way they can stop you seeing that painting yeah but Um, is, is there any copyright rights that they can exercise in owning this original Version, so it, 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 it largely depends on the token itself. The, one of the interesting elements of NFTs is that you can build in what's called smart contracts into them. And that would allow things like an artist, for example, to get a fee of any further sale. And that's, you know, a really interesting idea when it comes to supporting younger artists um, uh, that they, you know, they could sell on a piece, but also be, you know, a kind of equity owner of that piece yeah. at the same time. Um, and, you know, the idea that you can kind of essentially tokenize anything you want and you could, you know, sell it in bit parts, you know, in a similar way, you could sell common equity. So you could create an NFT that represents a 1% ownership of a piece of artwork and that could trade on a marketplace similar to stocks. Yeah. Uh, 
and there's you know they're currently being discussed as a way of potentially supporting artists in a digital economy so you know if you're a young artist starting out you might have a small following you could create a digital asset it doesn't have to be a painting it could be you know a song or a gif or a video or within jack dorsey's case a tweet uh, and you could sell that work in small segments to followers they're making an investment in you hoping that someday you become more widely known as an artist and therefore that digital asset is appreciating um, and the, the, you know the NBA have done this they're selling video highlights as NFTs at the moment uh, now the, the question becomes are, are these things actually valuable yeah and I suppose that argument is slightly redundant because it's it's an it's a way of creating scarcity and just because something's scarce doesn't mean there's any value in it however it does it creates the conditions for something to rise in value and we see that across a whole spectrum of things you know whether in in collectibles in particular it's whether it's a a particular vintage of wine or a baseball card or or a signed first edition the fact that something's scarce and that there's only a few of them out there means that the value of something can rise yeah one of the most interesting parts of this conversation too is this to me anyway seems like the first widespread discussion of how the blockchain can be used outside of cryptocurrencies um and do you feel that do you think that you know we're now starting to see some of the 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 wider applications the blockchain can be used outside of things like bitcoin we are but i feel like they're trying to squeeze well there's no they i believe the story is starting to evolve um like you kind of every new tech i think you have to look at it on how would i explain this to my grandmother and what utility does it bring to her life? And I had to go right back to basics and seemingly a fungible asset is something that is a well used term in economics that I was unaware of, to be perfectly honest. And and as Rory said, it's something that, you know, with money, you can swap a 10 euro note for two five euro notes and they both have the same value. But with a, a non-fungible asset, that's not possible. And as Rory said, you can't rip the Mona Lisa in half and suddenly you both have something worth half that value. So yeah, that is a, I suppose, a thought experiment works that you own this single asset that's non-divisible. Uh, it is a single unit and it can be transferred and the ownership, uh, you know, is very clear thanks to the blockchain so I can see it for sure but I actually it's not like electric cars where you could explain an electric car to somebody who's never seen one or heard of one Mm. and they'll grasp it very quickly I still think this is a, a new tech that you that I'd love to see in the real world in a practical application that I can totally relate to which could very well you know be come to life through through um square's recent acquisition of uh what was the business called again title yeah and, and that that brings me on nicely to the next question so coming back to jack dorsey and his other company square um they recently bought a majority stake in jay-z's music streaming service title which has kind of historically been quite unsuccessful competing against spotify and apple music on, on the surface, this seems like a classic case, of, as Peter Lynch would call it, diversification, as there's no apparent overlap between these two companies. But Rory, you you have a, a bit of a hot take that this could actually be a play for NFTs. I don't know if it's a hot take or not, but <laughs> I have. Yeah, I mean, they're buying them for $300 million. Tidal is one of those businesses, I think, you know, it never really seemed to live up to its mission, which was to kind of sidestep the bigger tech companies in the music streaming space and to figure out a way to pay artists fairly for their music. Yeah. Um, over the years, they kind of, they didn't manage to secure kind of the long-term exclusive deals that they were after. Jay-Z, Kanye West, Beyonce were all kind of owners. They released exclusive material on Tidal, but like within sometimes a couple of days had just capitulated and released it on Spotify because yeah. that's where the, that's where the eyeballs or the, or the earballs, as you would say, <laughs> were. Um, 
so like so Dorsey believes there's some way for Square to help Tidal kind of realize that dream to enable artists to support themselves in new ways and in his defense that's very much what Square has been doing for years with with merchants yeah um so it's not completely out of the realms of possibility and you know as we know Dorsey is a fan of the blockchain technology he's a big fan of Bitcoin and the idea that you know NFTs are now becoming a kind of hot topic which is related to that and you're kind of combining two sides of of, of the coin here with uh, this new way of distributing artwork or distributing ownership of artwork anyway and Dorsey now being involved in a platform whose mission it is to support artists in new ways so there's you know I think there is multiple opportunities here I'm sure that was one of the things he was thinking about when he made this acquisition. I don't agree with those who say he just wanted Jay-Z on the board yeah. or that he wanted to be invited to the cooler after parties. You know, he's a smart guy. He understands how this works. It's not, I mean, they've made acquisitions before in the past that were slightly unrelated to Square that didn't work out. Caviar, I think, was a good example of a food delivery business that they want, they thought could kind of integrate well with Square. But I'm, you know, cautiously optimistic about this. I think there's some very interesting things they could at least do. And like it was 300 million. It's not going to make a dent in Square's balance sheet anyway. So, yeah, it's a, I think it's an interesting acquisition. And it, it ties along nicely with, with, like I said, with both sides of what the companies are trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we talk about investments here, specifically stock investments, but obviously there's a lot of other types of investments. You can have everything from real estate to artwork. Do either of you think that, you know, maybe it's a bit early to tell, but that in the future NFTs could be another part of your investment portfolio, like stocks or real estate or, or something like that? No. <laughs> and I'm not. <laughs> no, I think it's a bubble. Uh, now, I think bubble is a rally you missed, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> well, no, I mean, is it a poll? Like, I, I just don't see it. I don't get it. Like, I really don't get it. And as you very well explained there, Rory, if you see a Monet and it is precisely copied, you're right. What is the absolute value of the fact that Claude Monet's hand held that brush? I don't know. Like, what, what asset do I need that the originality is so important to me that I'm willing to invest in it. Yeah. Said the guy who's bought stocks since he was 18. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Rory? I, I'm, I'm going to stay a bit more open-minded to it. I can, like, I can think of examples of, you know, I, I used to work in the media industry and would meet a lot of kind of young Irish artists and, you know, was, was kind of thinking who's going to be the next big thing or are these guys going to break out or whatever. I can see uh, examples where I'd like to support artists in a way mm. and if, if if nfts are a way to do that and you can potentially profit off it down the line i, I i'd be open to the idea yeah so in that kind of way it, it, they're just like an additional form of merchandise if we're talking about artists specifically yeah and it's you know as one of those people who like wouldn't know the value of that merchandise i i think i'd probably feel probably even more secure owning something like the digital rights to a song or something like that that could potentially explode in value if the artist hits it big yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting area. I wonder, though, just as a thought experiment, a young professional, usually when people get out of college or get out of school, it's when they have the most amount of potential and the least amount of money. And, you know, they say that money is very often wasted on the old or, you know, youth is wasted on the young. But I wonder if someday will individuals be able to issue NFTs in their own lifetime value in order to bring forward you know, the money that will follow later. So imagine a 21-year-old graduate from Harvard issues an NFT in their own lifetime earning capability 
and brings forward two million, basically sells shares in themselves. And then whatever they earn across their life is actually part owned by the people who bought the NFT. I d- is, is that not called um, uh, servitude? Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But didn't, sorry, there's a new company recently IPO called Upstart that's kind of peer-to-peer lending based on an algorithm. I think at one point they had a similar thing to that, that you could forward sell future income. I don't think it worked out, but it's definitely a... Uh, I've basically done what Coldplay did with Joe Satriani, where they wrote a tune. Joe Satriani said, hey, hold on a minute, that's my song. And they said, no, it isn't. And then in court, it was proven that... Coldplay, the the guy who wrote song Coldplay said, you know what, I must have heard Satriani's tune and then thought it was my own. So I think that's just happened. <laughs> I think that's there's, just happened to me. I had a, a ca- brilliant idea for NFTs. This, that this, was podcast, well this podcast episode will be sold as an NFT of proof that you came up with that idea first. <laughs> there's a counter story that um, Paul McCartney was going around humming yesterday, yesterday for yeah. three weeks and he kept asking people here who sings this song and everyone said I've never heard that song before in my life and he went alright I must have written it myself wow. yeah he, he called it scrambled eggs for ages because he was like I know the tune I, like he thought he heard the tune on the radio or something there we go that's wow. a we're getting a bit Rich. off topic here so <laughs> let's pull yeah. it back so last Wednesday Roblox became the latest high profile company to go public with a reference price of $45 per share set before its direct listing the stock began trading at about $64 a share and close out the day at $70 a piece, given the company market cap of just over $38 billion. Uh, the stock prices remained fairly flat since, something we definitely can't say for other recently listed companies like Airbnb, DoorDash or Bumble. Um, on the day of its direct listing last week, I published a piece in my Wall Street outlining some of the things we like and some of the things we disliked about Roblox as a potential investment. Rory, I know you've been keeping a close eye on Roblox too. What's your take on the company? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of Roblox. I think it's a very, very, it's one of the mo- most interesting companies to IPO, I think, in a long, long time. Um, like, it's 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 very uh, misunderstood company, I think, a lot of the times. People think of it as a video game company. It's not really a video game company at all. It's like a, a universe, essentially. A, a sim- like, I think actually the best kind of comparison would be like Second Life. And one of the big bear arguments is, well, Second Life didn't, make it why should roblox and i think that you know there's always uh, examples of something happening too early where just the all the bits weren't in the right place for something to succeed yeah whereas now i think roblox certainly is in a place where things can succeed and there's multiple reasons for that a huge part of it is is things like youtube which help people enter the game much easier to understand the mechanics of the game much easier and things like that but yeah pulling back a bit not so much a game as kind of a, a, a metaverse or a universe where people can go and, and yeah. live kind of a I've, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of people describe it as a theme park yeah a theme park would be a good example as well and, and and you know there's something I think 36 million people go to this theme park every day in, in order to wow. uh, to socialise with people that they know people that they know in real life and people that they know purely in a digital sense and um, they can do so much there they can do pretty much most of what they can do in the real world they can play you know learn do different games explore build worlds for themselves and um, and so it's kind of a very kind of human experience in the digital space Mm. Uh, and yeah I mean in in terms of eyeballs there's no arguing that Roblox is is, is an incredible asset to own it's it's so popular among children of all ages but largely under 13 year olds yeah uh, which creates its own problem we've talked about that before the the need to maintain 
um, safety in that space. But so far, they seem to be doing a very good job, and they have very nice kind of economic model where they, there's an online there's a in-game currency called robux which they sell to people for a certain price and then exchange it back at a totally different price which yeah I well we, we were we were already talking about non-fungible things and this roblox i suppose you would call it a fungible currency and can you talk a little bit more about it like how how crucial this internal economy roblox has created how important that is to the company yeah so i mean in similar to kind of an app store you know within roblox that uh, there is the game gets a cut of kind of anything that's kind of bought and sold within the world and people yeah. can spend their time and energy and creativity creating all sorts of things similar to kind of like a lego brick model all contained within kind of very simple graphics which kind of like it again kind of restricts it but also makes it more kind of democratizes it more because you don't have to be an amazing coder or an amazing designer you can really create lots of different things in a very simple and easy way and Roblox, you will you can buy this currency within the game. There's various kind of exchange rates to get that, depending on whether you're a subscriber or how much you're buying. There's obviously discounts for bulk and that kind of stuff. So they they sell these Robux in. People use them to buy skins, to buy various kind of items within the game, to create their own experiences, their own learning experiences, their own games. And Robux takes a cut of that yeah. to start off with, um, similar to kind of the App Store. And then also, if you ever want to exchange those Robux into fiat currency, you can do so as well. And there's a, there's a slightly different exchange rate for getting them back out of the Robux uh, economy. So they, they make money in a couple of different interesting ways. And it sounds like something you'd be like, well, why would designers, developers put up with this if they're you know getting such a big commission or robux is taking such a big commission it's simply because that's where the eyeballs are there's there's creators on there who are making you know six-figure salaries for creating stuff within this economy because of how many people use it 36 million people come in a day yeah and i think that's that's one of the really interesting things with this company is you know in some ways you could compare it to the likes of facebook or airbnb you know it's a company that that provides the platform but it doesn't actually own or develop any of the assets that people come to use on the platform. How important is that, Emmett, these kind of, I suppose you'd call them asset light companies? Well, it's becoming more and more important as we all, as you said, with Airbnb, which is a business I believe someday will be a trillion dollar business without owning a single, you know, bed. Mm. So uh, I think it is great because content created by a community is so invaluable. Like look at Wikipedia. One of my favorite Wikipedia facts as an example is that the year Wikipedia was launched, was the year that Encyclopedia Britannica had its highest amount of sales. Yeah. And I think within two or three years, Encyclopedia Britannica had gone bust. And that, I suppose, is a quick anecdote to the power of, you know, user-generated content. So I think Roblox, for me, my research on Roblox kind of came to a conclusion when I had a chat with my two sons, uh, who once were Roblox customers or gamers, um, and kind of outgrew it. But my younger son, who's 12, said that he sees Roblox uh, having quite a long life ahead of it because he sees new generation of gamers coming in and absolutely loving it. And that was, to me, reasonably good research because I can look at Roblox and I can take an assessment based on average revenue per user and lifetime. I think they use average bookings per daily active user as their metric yeah. that they look at. And I was looking at that and I was diving into a research piece on like, for example, comparing it to EA Games who recently bought Glue Mobile and I was doing comparisons on how much both 
you know the valuation on both sides of the line but when i speak when you speak to somebody young about something that appeals to them and just ask them will they still be doing this in a few years you know uh, a data point of one person's view for me was quite a good piece of research i would add though that i think roblox picked the absolute sweet spot to list yeah. because they, in their own words and i'm reading here they said we do not expect these activity levels to be sustained and in future periods we expect growth rates from our revenue to decline and we may not experience any growth in bookings or our user base during periods where we are comparing against covid 19 impacted periods now we will soon learn whether that was a conservative stance and setting us up uh or was it in fact a very did they actually pick the perfect moment to float their well, business. That brings me really nicely onto my next question. And in a week where we saw the payments company Stripe managed to raise another $600 million in private capital and hit a valuation of about $95 billion, the question I suppose must be asked, Rory, why do private companies go public right now? Is it a case that Roblox saw the opportune moment to go public with its all of its kind of key metrics as, as high as they might go when everyone's locked into their houses? There's probably an element of that. Um, <laughs> look, there's many, multiple reasons why companies go public. Uh, traditionally, it was because at some point a company outgrew the public capital that could it could generate, or the private capital it could generate. Sorry. Yeah. Um, and the, and the only other option was to go uh, was to go public. Um, obviously, there was a huge amount of private money floating around over the last couple of years. That's where we saw this you know total extreme rise in these unicorn businesses you know unicorns were supposed to at one point be they were named unicorns because of their rarity now you, there's yeah. hundreds of them you know they're constantly talking about unicorns um and you saw businesses staying private up to you know potentially 100 million dollar 100 billion dollar valuation sorry um without the need to raise public money and so so that that kind of removed i suppose one element of the equation in terms of when does a business go uh, public, but then I suppose, like each business is different as well. You never know how much people are willing to fund it to at to certain levels. I definitely think the amount of businesses we saw go public at the end of last year and the beginning of this year was a reaction to what happened in March and and a lot of people who'd spent ten twenty years building up businesses and expecting them to go public at some point in the future got a shock and you know didn't want to live through that experience again. Wanted to get them out on the public markets before another March 2020 happened. But like I said, there's, there's loads of reasons. Having uh, having had a very good year and, and seeing your revenue expand the way that Roblox did, it's good to have those figures in front of investors yeah. when you're asking to you're asking to buy the shares of the company. Absolutely. So Rory, in terms of the My Wall Street shortlist and Emmett, in terms of the Horizon shortlist, are you, are you looking at Roblox's uh, potential addition? Yeah, definitely for me. No, I have it on the longer finger at the moment, James. Okay, cool. Let's move on then and have a look at some of the things going on in my Wall Street at the moment. So on Monday, we added our latest stock pick to the shortlist. This company is a high growth technology stock that is not without its fair share of risk, but has huge opportunity in a rapidly growing market in the United States. Rory, anything to add there? Do you want to do another three word pitch or do you want to pass? Oh, you need to <laughs> warn me about these things. Um, three. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to have to to sign up to my Wall Street and find out. Um, I also want to mention that next Tuesday, March 23rd, Emmett is also holding a free online workshop called Finding Wildcards and World Changers. In this workshop, Emmett will talk about wildcard stocks and the life-changing effects they have on your portfolio, how to find wildcards yourself, and he'll also give you three companies that he thinks could have the potential to be wildcards over the next few years. 
Emma, are you looking forward to this workshop? Yeah, actually, I really am. I think this will be the most, I suppose, useful and impactful webinar that I'll have done. Um, like if you take, for example, in December in our podcast here, I said I thought Macy's would double this year. Mm. Uh, it was 10 bucks then and it's 20 bucks now. So um, what I'm going to do is kind of uh, explain what is a wildcard. So wildcard, I suppose I'll explain now, is a low probability, high impact event. Yeah, It's a stock that has a thesis behind it that if it plays out, you will get a high, hopefully positive impact in your stock portfolio. So um, what I'll do is I'll walk through how I look, uh, you know, what I look for in a wild card, um, how I find them. And I suppose most excitingly, I'm going to identify three stocks that I think have a fair chance at creating significant returns from today's levels. Um, one is in fast casual dining. The other is in sports. And the final one is in bleeding edge high tech equipment. Um, and I think listeners will almost certainly have heard of one of the companies, possibly of two, but highly unlikely yeah. people who tune into the webinar will have heard of all three. And as I said, I really think that people come away with some really good ideas uh, for some wild card plays in their own portfolio. Yeah, well, I, I've been lucky enough to see some of the workshop already and it's definitely something you don't want to miss out on. So remember, this workshop is completely free, but places are limited. So if you want to attend, just follow the link in the notes for today's show and register your interest. Let's move on to jargon buses then. We haven't done this in a few weeks. So the first question we got in from Stephen Lynch and it's about WWE as a company, uh, or sorry, WWE as a potential investment. Rory, I know you've looked into WWE before. What are your thoughts on the company? Yeah, I looked into them a few years ago, like interesting business, uh, kind of niche sporting events that were quite, you know, it's um, similar to kind of like the NBA. It's highly differentiated. If you want to watch wrestling, you're going to watch WWE. There's there's kind of no um, counterpart at that level, but passed on them based on uh, the fact that they treated their employees terribly. They, there was a, and don't need to get into the whole thing now, but John Oliver did a great piece a couple of years ago. Anyone can YouTube that on the way they, they treated the, the performers and, and that was just a, a, t a total no-go for us in terms of we like to see companies that treat their employees well, look after all their stakeholders and they were definitely on the other extreme of that. So it was uh, instantly off the watch list at that point. But it's not real, is it? Like, they don't actually do it, do they? That's all acting, right? Of course it's real, Emmett. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> so basically, the, the CEO would, like, clothesline the employees yeah. or whatever. That, well, exactly. Whatever and he, he'd dangle bags of money over the ring and, like, that would be their wages. <laughs> they'd have to... No, as long <laughs> as... What are the not... moves, Cole? Come on, Rory, list all the moves. There's, you know, what are the manoeuvres? Stone Cold can... Stunner, the Rock Bottom. People's the... Elbow. People's Elbow. People's yeah. elbow. Yeah. yeah, that was that, that was, was the rock. rock. Oh right, oh, rock the go. Dwayne Johnson. Very, very good. There you go. Um, yeah, no, it's I mean like it's script. The the stories are scripted, but there's an awful lot of like athleticism involved. They're you know top of their game athletes. Yeah, jumping off things and banging <laughs> into each other, and they do get injured yeah. a lot, and the company doesn't pay for it. So yeah. Oh. Okay, let's move on then. And another question we got in was about inflation and its effect on the stock market. We've suffered a volatile few weeks recently thanks to concerns about rising inflation. But why exactly does higher inflation threaten the market, Rory? How, how long do you have? <laughs> Quick, I don't want to talk about inflation for too long. Uh, there's, I mean, there's books and books written of it. I, I'm not the, exactly the right person to ask, I suppose. In general, you know, with stocks, you're always trying to outbeat inflation because 
that your purchasing power is declining. So the idea of investing is to try and make sure that you're always staying out of inflation, that your money's not decreasing in value. Yeah. In terms of the recent kind of worries about inflation, uh, high inflation typically, or, you know, anecdotally is bad for growth stocks because prices rise, consumers can't purchase as much. That means less revenue going into companies. That means less money to grow the businesses. Hmm. Um, uh, there's also an element of like what the Fed's going to do to tackle high inflation, which would typically be to rise, increase the interest rates, which again, bad for growth companies. There's a, you know, there's a plethora of reasons why inflation is bad for particularly growth stocks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could, I mean, look, you could read books and books about it and you'd f- hear multiple different arguments about why and what's the what's the root causes and what's the long-term effects. So yeah, not it's I couldn't cover it all in jargon busters. Yeah, but, but surely it's not as simple as just inflation equals bad too. Like it, it's one of many factors and, and like mm. it's, it's one of the boogeymen, I suppose, that people use for the stock market and get a bit of jitters. Yeah, totally. Oh, you could go back to... Um, didn't you guys when you guys did the interview with uh, Morgan Housel he talked about mm. it great that he he'd, did, have, yeah. he's be, he'd know a lot more about it than I would listen to that interview again um, okay let's move on then to our elevator pitch before we end today's show so in preparation for Emmett's Finding Wild Cards and World Changers workshop next week I've asked you both to pitch me a wild card stock today Rory I'm going to let you go first what wild card stock are you pitching me Considering Emmett just told me what a wildcard stock is, I'm gonna, uh, <laughs> this, is a bit, this is a bit fly. This is on the fly. But sticking with the NFT thing, I did see someone on Twitter uh, propose that GoPro could go down the NFT route and that they could enable all their cameras to instantly create whatever footage they captured into an NFT. Okay. Um, I mean, that's GoPro hasn't got much going for it, but if that could work out, mm. that's a wild card, mm. definitely. Rory, yeah. you're going to turn every company into an NFT. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what, what would what would Peloton's <laughs> NFT be? Oh, they could. They, I mean, they could definitely make NFTs. They had um, Megan the Stallion recorded a a riding video for them just a couple of days ago. It's been watched two hundred fifty thousand times. Wow, there's, okay. there's your NFT right there. <laughs> so, if anyone would like to hire Rory Karen to make NFTs for their company, you can find his contact details in the notes for today's show. Uh, Emmett, what about you? What wild card are you pitching me? Well. Tuesday, 23rd of March at 5 p.m. Irish time, 1 p.m. New York time. I'm going to unveil three wild cards, James, and I'm not going to, I'm going to keep that powder dry for now because I'm quite certain one of those three, at least one of those three is going to have multi-bagger success. So I hope people can just tune on in. This is like Glen Gary, Glen Ross. ABC yeah. always be closing. <laughs> another another acronym for the show. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah. Make sure to tune into that um, workshop next week, and don't forget if you want to attend, you need to register in the link in the notes for today's show. So that's it from this week's Stock Club. Don't forget about all the great new stuff in the My Wall Street app at the moment. If there's anything you want us to discuss or explain on the next episode, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ, or email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. Don't forget to subscribe to Stock Club too. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please leave a review for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. If you have an idea what NFT My Wall Street could make too, make sure to get in touch. We'll uh, read out some of your suggestions on the next show. Until then, we'll talk to you in two weeks. Happy investing. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then... 
Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.